Verdugo back to the pen. He oh. caught it. He oh. took it back. He's doing everything right now. Hi, and welcome to another edition of the TC and Company podcast. Tom Karen with you as the Red Sox just keep on rolling. Uh, coming to you after uh, game one in Chicago, a pounding of the White Sox, 16-3, to and they are just firing on all cylinders. Trevor Story, the American League Player of the Week last week. It's another home run to begin the road trip. Uh, a three-run shot in the first inning that really kind of just uh, took any wind out of the White Sox sails. Did it against Dylan Cease, a good pitcher, was leading the league uh, in strikeouts coming into the game. And he didn't strike out a few, so probably added to that. Uh, but uh, the Red Sox twice now, last September 11th, and again uh, Tuesday night in Chicago, absolutely beat him up. So good start to a little three-game swing. Then they're home for a ton of baseball. Five-game series against the Orioles with a doubleheader Saturday. Cincinnati Reds for two. That's seven games against two last place teams. Really a chance to make a little move before a long West Coast trip uh, in the offing. Also going to have the Red Sox Hall of Fame inductions on Thursday night at Fenway Park. Dan Duquette uh, will be overshadowed by Dave, O'Bri- uh, Dave uh, Ortiz, David Ortiz. Dave O'Brien. Dave O'Brien. Uh, David Ortiz will be headlining uh, Manny Ramirez will be inducted, and in keeping uh, with his uh, legend, he will not be there. Uh, We will uh, be joined by Rich Gedman, great catcher from the 86 Red Sox, uh, and and we'll have a lot of fun. A couple of big-name guests, including uh, a certain Hall of Fame pitcher, who I'm told will be dropping by to say hello. So it's going to be a fun night at Fenway Park. Uh, Public invited. Tickets are available. I don't know how you buy them or how much they are. It's not my problem. It's yours. But get out there and get uh, get over to the ballpark. It's at Fenway Park for the first time. Always had it at a convention center or a hotel room. Uh, Not room, but a ballroom. Uh, This year it'll be at Fenway Park. So uh, get over there and check it out. going to be a lot of fun. Dan Duquette, uh, part of the Hall of Fame class being inducted, will be joining us here on the podcast in just a few minutes. But first, leading off, our Kike Hernandez, uh, as it were, is uh, Tyler Baronski. Uh, Tyler, rave reviews last week uh, for your podcast debut. Uh, I know you have already uh, had your agents contact Nesson about changing the name of it to TC and Tyler. That's not going to happen. You are N company until further notice, but I hope you're okay with that. I'm okay with that. You know, I did walk past your desk a few times today just to make sure there wasn't any stacks of resumes with other multi-talented content producers, you know, trying to take this job. So I was in the clear. Um, So yeah, so far, some good reviews. Got some nice messages. So just keep it rolling, you know. Just remember when you walk by my desk, don't look me in the eyes. Uh, Look down, Mr. Karen. That's the way it works. Uh, (laughs) Just kidding, of course. I hope people know we're kidding. uh, Okay, so last week you kind of brought some fun topics to the show. And that's what we're looking for because, you know, we do lots of research, lots of uh, fan-based research, and and I I don't bring enough fun to the show. So you're here (laughs) to bring some fun to the show. What do you got this week? Well, one of my favorite moments from uh, last week in the Seattle series, and I think this can be a moment, assuming – things continue to trend right in this Red Sox season. The vibes have been right lately with them winning. And it was when Trevor Story, our guy lately, who's been just killing it. We showed a nice little graphic yesterday in the postgame show, you know, 355 in the last eight games, seven home runs. And um, after his three home run game against Seattle, he followed it up with a grand slam, but not just any grand slam, a grand slam to your buddy, 
former Nesson analyst, 2013 World Series champion, Johnny Gomes in the house. And man, what a, what a moment that was. How, what are the odds of that happening, that you hit it to a legend, but hopefully a, a legend in the making with stories Red Sox career too, and then hits it to a, you know, a guy that's well-established with the fan base. So I thought that was just such an awesome moment. And, you know, hopefully something we'll look back on if uh, things are, you know, exciting for the Red Sox down the stretch that that was the one of the moments where things, you know, uh, started turning around for the Red Sox and the vibes were, you know, back at Fenway. I don't think there's any doubt. And I, I do think that's one of those moments that's going to be on, you know, the highlight reel or, or the World Series DVD if everything plays out uh, as the Red Sox hope. But, but you're right. It was a surreal moment. Now, I, I, I want to back up. Mm. He claims he caught the ball. Johnny Gomes did not catch that ball. I mean, Johnny Gomes, he attacked that ball. He, he, <laughs> he, I mean, it hit off his sort of bicep. He claims he got it before it went down. If you watch it in real time, really hard to imagine he got that. But, but, but maybe it bounced, whatever the case. He came away with it and then absolutely lost his mind and pulled his shirt up like, uh, like, like you know, an Italian soccer player who just <laughs> scored the winning kick for the Champions League. Uh, I don't know what came over him in that moment, uh, but it was a very cool moment. And 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 Johnny Ga- Johnny Gomes had hit a grand slam up into the monster seats himself. So we believe I don't know if there's any stats to back this up, but we believe Johnny Gomes, the first player to ever hit a grand slam into the monster seats and catch a grand slam in the monster seats. So that's pretty impressive. It is pretty impressive. I just love that genuine reaction, like you mentioned, lifting the shirt up. I know myself cutting up the high, uh, that home run clip every time I always hear a Ness and I always keep that little reaction afterwards just because it's just so crazy. It's just Johnny going pure excitement um, after making that catch. And I then think he, he also- signed the baseball. Yeah. He didn't just give it. He signed the baseball <laughs> for Trevor story. That's what makes Johnny Gomes, Johnny Gomes. Absolutely. So that, that was one of my favorite moments from the weekend. I know we had to start off with that. Um, you, and then you mentioned tomorrow with the Red Sox hall of fame, uh, ceremony going. I'll be there. I'll make sure to definitely attend that. See all the inductees. I know Manny won't be there though. That's a little bit of a bummer. I know. When's the last time you saw Manny? Mike, my, my thinking is the last time he was at Fenway was the ring ceremony after 2018. Uh, am I off? Of that? Uh, you might be right, but I feel he came by. That's a great question. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to look into that. He's one of the and, guys uh, that. No, I'll... he hasn't been around a ton. I mean, he was working with the Cubs. Remember, he kept playing. He went. Yes. He was in. He oh, yeah. was in Korea playing, and then Tried he was in Australia? Australia. Last yeah. year, he was like in Australia playing. That was the old video where the people didn't recognize him. Guy wearing a Red Sox cap yeah. didn't know who he was, and uh, he kind of had some fun with that on his video. And, and you know, his son now is playing for the Brockton Rocks, uh, mm. the independent college team. Mm. Uh, I think. Uh, I think David Ortiz's son, D'Angelo is going to be playing for them a little bit too. Oh, really? uh, so this is, uh, uh, I, I'm sure Manny will be around there. I, I've been told he was traveling and it just, he wasn't able to get back in time for it. Uh, he's overseas, uh, probably trying to play in the Netherlands or something. I don't know. But Manny, you know, one of my, one of my uh, claims to fame, uh, if you want to call it that, it's really not. Uh, but when, when I was traveling with the Red Sox sideline reporter at the airport in Atlanta, uh what you, is it a wet willy when you yeah you yeah, know, sort yeah. Of, like yeah yeah manny gave me one oh, of those he went willy standing in line uh in, to get through security at the atlanta airport and and 
like I turned around. It was one of those, you know, you do it. It's like high school. You do it. You, you hide, yeah. And he's standing over there giggling like a three-year-old, you know, and everybody else is just standing there like, yeah, you kind of gave it away. You couldn't even continue. You couldn't hide it. No. No. I'm guessing you so, didn't give it to him back. I'm, I'm I just not, like, no, assuming I you did not. I wiped that out as quick as I could and got on with my day is what I did. Yeah. I got to say, I have a, I've got, I got a little beef right now with Manny. I don't know if you go on his Instagram and see all his posts lately. He's been wearing all these different caps of other MLB teams, and he likes to wear Ooh. a Yankees hat for some reason, a lot in these videos on his Instagram. Is that I, true? It's true. Go scroll through the Instagram. I'm It'd like, be like that. It should be like that ESPN commercial with Ortiz and yeah, Wally, yeah. right? Wally, it's not what you think. Uh, but well, that like that's broke me when I was a kid. I, I, I was. I, I would actually remember being like really upset at the time when I saw Ortiz wear a Yankees. I don't know why. That was a great spot. I didn't. I haven't seen that. I will have to look at that. And then, no okay, Instagram. So I don't know why he always wears Yankees. Yeah, it just bothers me a lot. I'm bringing the topic up to you now. Did you right. see the Tom Brady post? Uh, I that did. Tom Brady was was it Gronkowski who was throwing uh, yeah, yeah. BP to him? Yeah. yeah. So well, he was drafted by the Montreal Expos. Technically, mm-hmm. the only active Expos draft pick in sports. It's just not baseball. Uh, and and so then he was asking what he was saying. Uh, is that deal still on the table? I know you moved. And then yeah, the Nationals gonna, replied, well, you know, we're here. We will take you back. That's all I was going to say. Like his caption says, is the Expos offer still on the table? I just want to be like, oh, you do know that it's not, they're not there anymore, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Nationals, but, uh, uh, Nationals tried to honor it. Maybe, uh, maybe they'll give him something. He was, I, I was at Fenway once when he took batting practice uh, and he didn't clear the wall, but he was out there for a long time. You could see the competitive juices. He kept going and going. I, fi- I think he finally got one off. Maybe he did clear one. Maybe he did I, finally hit Well, one. I, I saw when he, he went right field and, Wrapped it around pesky pole, so he got yeah, one around Yeah, that's pesky right. He pole. did finally get around the pesky pole. Yeah, you're right. Like, he was with Lawyer Malloy. It was him and Lawyer Malloy taking BP. Yeah, because I remember like Back in, in that day. clip, like Demarlo Hale. He's just like freaking out. I think it was Demarlo. Yeah, the one yeah. of the coaches was just like freaking out when he hit it over the pesky around the pesky pole. I was actually pole. talking to Belichick in the seats that night and really and brought it up, and he was like, you know, yeah, don't let's let's not, you know, he's not a baseball player. It's you know, so and he's he's not anymore. You tell, but the swing looked okay yesterday. Yeah, the swing so looked good. Go. It was only it was only warning track power though. He never really got too far yeah, in that video yesterday. Right. And then today Stupid he posted a golf doing. clip. Uh, he didn't post a golf. Yeah, clip what's today. with the hole in one and the drone? That's that, not real. That, that was not real. No There's way. That's no real. chance. That's no real. chance. Good acting on this part. Good. Re- it, the yeah. reaction seemed genuine, but too many too many we'll get we'll get his brother-in-law eucalyptus to uh to fill yeah, us in on the details on that yeah, we'll we, get the, we we'll get own, the scoop. we got our own brain all right what uh what are you looking forward to this weekend you like double headers you got a double header saturday you gonna, um, are you working Did, i am you know working you, you know yeah. since i saw I, i'm mentally prepared for the double header I, I saw it on the schedule ahead of time so you know I, i'm working i'm I know I'll be here for the for the full day, and you know it's fine. It's fine. You know, whatever you do, what All you right. gotta do. Um, like All you right. said, playing the Orioles, which is uh, you know that like like X A yesterday, they're not lambs so far this season. They've been giving you know the Yankees a little bit of a hard time making the games close. So I don't won't probably be as easy as last year, but you know not I as easy. It. I still don't mind it. I still don't mind. Yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. I'll take five with the Orioles over three with the Yankees any day. All right, you passed the test. Uh, good talk about the Expos. That sets up our next guest. Was perfect. Dan Duquette uh, was general manager of the Montreal Expos. Actually traded for Pedro Martinez when he was general manager of the Expos. And then when he came to his hometown Red Sox, 
signed Pedro Martinez and uh, ushered in a whole new era. In so many ways, he laid the foundational pieces for what became the 2004 Red Sox. Wasn't here as GM anymore. Theo Epstein, we know, was in charge at that point. But a lot of players here came uh, through moves that were made by Dan Duquette. He'll be honored and inducted into the Red Sox Hall of Fame Thursday night. And he joins us this week on the TC and Company podcast. The Red Sox uh, Fenway Honors and the Red Sox Hall of Fame event being held Thursday at Fenway Park in Boston. Always fun. Great to have it back uh, after losing it for a couple of years uh, because of the pandemic. And one of the honorees, along with uh, David Ortiz and Manny Ramirez and Rich Gedman, uh, the late Bill Benin, uh, joins us now. Former general manager Dan Duquette of the Red Sox. Uh, Dan, uh, obviously, there, there's no better honor from an organization to be inducted into their Hall of Fame. But for a guy who grew up here, who grew up a Red Sox fan, who grew up knowing what this franchise means and this organization means to so many people, what does it mean to you to receive this honor? Well, it's a, it's a great honor uh, for me and my family. Uh, you know, we grew up following the Red Sox. And our love or my love for the Red Sox, I learned from my family, it was passed down from generation to generation. And in fact, when I first got the job, uh, my uncle, Father Don Bosco, said that the affinity for the Red Sox in New England comes straight from the mother's milk. And so that that's pretty basic. Uh, that's pretty basic uh, a love for the team. And, and uh, my grandmother, my grandfathers, they all follow the team. And of course, my dad took my brother and I to Fenway. So uh, we grew up loving the Red Sox and, and it, you know, it was a great thrill to work for them. And, and this, this is a terrific honor. And I'm, I'm really humbled to be part of this group with another New Englander, Butch Gedman, and the most dynamic duo in the history of the American League, other than Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, you know, these, these two great Dominican hitters, uh, Manny Ramirez and David Ortiz. I mean, those guys are great. They had great careers and, uh, you know, it's, it's a great class and, you know, it's a, it's, it's a really good thing for me and my family and, and we're, we're just really humbled and honored to be part of it. You know, I'm trying to think of how many events you've spoken at over the course of your life and your career. But when you open for David Ortiz, there's really no pressure because whatever you say, <laughs> Ortiz will say something more outrageous later. Right? Well, you, you know, um, I was thinking about that because, you know, growing up in New England is, you're, you know, people are very passionate about baseball in New England, right? And I used to get letters from people all over New England. I got one letter from a... a a woman in Northern Vermont, and she knew what our players were having for breakfast. And she sent me a letter and said, based on what they're having, you should have a training table at your, at your ballpark for the, for the guys to give them better nutrition. But I mean, that's the kind of passion they have in New England, but that's the kind of passion that these Dominicans have for baseball. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been a great marriage to have these uh, great Dominican players uh, come from the Dominican and be embraced by the fans in New England. And, and, and David is, is um, one of them. Of course, Manny is another. And of course, Pedro is another. And th those are three Dominican experts. And, um, you know, it, it, it's good to be on in front of Big Pappy because you know that uh, he's going to be the cleanup hitter. He, he, he's, yeah. he's got a certain flair, like all these Dominicans have. And, uh, you know, the people in New England love that. 
Yeah, he will steal the show. I have no doubt. It's interesting you say that though, because I, I had never thought about that until I, I, I did a long form kind of sit down with, with David at one point toward the end of his career. And he was the first to ever really say to me that he felt the fans and the baseball culture in the Dominican was very similar to the baseball passion that we have here in Boston and New England. And, and back when you were, you know, even with the Expos, right, getting involved in, in the scouting end and the development end, did, was there a time where you realized that, where you noticed the similarity in the passion? Yeah, that, that, that really struck me. Uh, when I went to the Dominican the first time, I was with the Brewers and we were recruiting players down there. In fact, we signed a kid out of David's neighborhood by the name of Frankie Valdez. And uh, Frankie's brother, David Valdez, uh, followed him. But, um, you know, I think they all, a couple of them ended up signing with Seattle. But if you go to a Dominican neighborhood, you see the passion for baseball that you see from fans throughout New England. And, you know, baseball matters in New England, okay? Baseball matters. It's important to the culture. It was important to my family. And I think that's why I developed such a great love for baseball and the Red Sox, because it mattered. It, it, it counted. I, I remember one time in, uh, when I was a kid, we went to the Pittsfield Red Sox game. And Eddie Popowski was the manager. We were coming out of the ballpark and a foul ball goes up over the grandstand at Wakona Park in Pittsfield. And I jumped and I dived and I got the ball. I got my first pearl from Wakona Park. Okay. And I brought it home. I showed my mother and she said, that's great, Danny. I'm so proud of you. And then when we had a picnic on Saturday, my father said, Hey, go get that ball from the Red Sox. I showed it to my uncle Jimmy. I showed it to my grandfather's. And they all said, hey, that's great, Danny. You, 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 you got a foul ball. You know, so we had a connection with the Red Sox. They were their double A team. And I came away from there at eight years old. And my family was so jacked up. I, I thought that we were on our way to curing cancer because I got a baseball from the Red Sox at Wakona Park. But that same passion they have in the Dominican, right? They they absolutely love baseball. And uh, I'm um Harken back to a story, you know, we were trying to sign Pedro and I didn't quite know how we were going to sign him. So Lou Gorman said to me, he said, you know, Juan Marichal finished his career with the Red Sox, the great uh, Dominican pitcher, the only Hall of Famer. And he goes, Juan Marichal liked his time in Boston. So I knew Juan because I tried to sign some of his players in the Dominican. So I called him up. I said, Juan, could you talk to Pedro? And he said, yeah, sure. I'd be glad to. And Juan was Pedro's idol. And Juan said to Pedro, Pedro, if you sign with the Red Sox, they absolutely love baseball. The fans will love you and you will have a home for life. And that was one of the reasons that we were able to sign him because he got it right from his idol, right? He got it, he got it from Juan Marichal who played there. And he understood the passion of the fans, that it was akin to the passion of the fans of the Dominican Republic. By the way, Wakona Park, the only place where they stop the game for the solar timeout, right? As the sun <laughs> sets in the first baseman's eyes. Yeah, here comes the sun. We used to play here comes the sun during the uh, timeout, and we were hoping everybody would go to the concession stand. Uh, <laughs> hey, so, I mean, you know, you talk about Pedro, and you talk about, I mean, you got him twice, right? You traded for him in Montreal, 
you sign him here. Uh, and But, I mean, we talked about David at the beginning. And Pedro had that. I mean, Pedro was a big part of kind of changing the culture of the fan base at Fenway Park. You know what I mean? It, I have this image like before Pedro and Manny and David – you know, a lot of a lot of New Englanders sitting on their hands, waiting for something to happen on the field. You know, all of a sudden Pedro's on the mound every fifth day, and there's flags waving and music playing and people dancing. I mean, Fenway Park kind of came to life before our eyes with these guys. Well, it, it was a big event when Pedro came, right? Uh, it's just seeing him pitch and the mastery of his skills, right? But not just that. Uh, Pedro Martinez is a showstopper, right? He's a diva. He loved being out there in, uh, on center stage in the, in, the, in the middle of the mound. And, you know, that kind of charisma and that kind of passion, it, it's contagious. And I think that really captured the imagination of the fans. And then, of course, um, you know, Pedro and uh, Fern Cusa, they recommended David to, to, to the Red Sox. And then uh, uh, in, uh, just after Pedro came, of course, we signed Manny. And Manny's one of the great right-handed hitters uh, of all of all time. I mean, he 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 fit in there with the elite left fielders of the uh, of the Red Sox, but all colorful players. Okay, they all have a certain attractiveness to them. Uh, but you know, keep in mind these guys are baseball experts. Okay, yeah. these guys got talent, but they have this passion for the game that comes out when they're performing. Uh, they have this great love for the game that makes them, uh, uh, you know, attractive to the fans, right? I mean, we we love Dominican players in, in Boston, uh, we, and in fact, we've adopted them, right? <laughs> we've adopted them, and we we we've made them feel home, uh, and and it's it's been a great relationship. All right, the the Manny signing, and and you know, what was the, what were the numbers? I don't know, 180 million. What was the? I mean, whatever it was. And now it's a, now that's three years of a shortstop, right? I mean, at times of change. But but that was you know there aren't a lot of, and that was a blockbuster deal at the time. That was kind of a pioneering deal. The way you got that done, you know, listen, you maybe you overpaid, whatever the case, but you knew what it would take to get him here, and you got him here. And there aren't a lot of guys who live up to that kind of deal. I will die on the hill that Manny Ramirez was worth every penny this organization spent on him because of what he ultimately did with this team, what he did with the bat. But tell me about the side, because we all know Manny. And, and you know, the whole Manny being Manny thing, that's real. I mean, he's a different cat. You know, you talk to him and you never know what's going to come back. So that couldn't be the, the most linear process of signing a guy, right? I mean, I'm sure there were some interesting twists along the way. What was it like to get that deal done? Well, it, the, the Manny deal was a was a was a big deal for the Red Sox because if you followed what we did, we didn't sign a high-profile free agent in my time there. We were building up the infrastructure and the re international recruiting and the, and the player pipeline so that we could beat the Yankees. But we did it mostly through the draft, and we didn't want to give up draft picks uh, or uh, be penalized on the international market. So we didn't sign a free agent but when john harrington decided he was going to sell the club he knew that he needed a drawing card he, he needed somebody in that lineup that could hold the attention of the fans and not only that uh we were building out the uh cable tv network we were, we were doing a, a big deal with uh, at&t to roll out uh, uh nesson 
Right. Uh, and, and we needed to be interesting. So John said, we're going to go sign a free agent this year. And A-Rod was a free agent. Mike Mussina was a free agent. We put some uh, attention on Mike Mussina. It was obvious that he was going to sign with either the Yankees or the Orioles. So uh, A-Rod, we didn't think that was a fit. Um, we just didn't think it was a fit. And so we concentrated on Manny. And I got to tell you, Manny, we saw in the playoffs, okay? We saw him in 95. We saw him in 98. We saw him in 99. He hit home runs. And we saw that he could get a hit when it counted. And so we went after Manny uh, for all those reasons. And, you know, his agent, Jeff Morad, made it very clear that if we could pay Manny more than another player, that, that we could sign him. So that's what we did. <laughs> what Was it true? What was the story? Wasn't there like a clubhouse kid in Cleveland or something that after <laughs> he did the deal, he tried to bring with him? Manny had a little bit of entourage with him in Cleveland. And he had, he had a clubhouse guy that was very important to him. And uh, Jeff Morad kept saying, Manny wants to bring his guy. I said, Manny's not bringing his guy. I said, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do, okay? I'm, I'm going to pay Manny to leave his guy in Cleveland, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll give you another $7 million, okay? And Manny, and, and we're going to use our clubhouse guys, and Manny's clubhouse guy could stay in Cleveland. So evidently, Jeff didn't communicate that to Manny. So when we got down in the conference room ready to sign, uh, Jeff was explaining the contract to Manny, and I was there with Elaine Stewart. I think Mike Port was there. And Manny goes, what about so-and-so? I said, so-and-so is not in this contract, Manny. Uh, I, I said, Jeff, you got to tell Manny. Manny goes, well, I'm not going to sign. I said, Jeff, you need to explain to your client that we gave Manny a significant amount of money so that his clubhouse guy could stay, could stay there. So uh, he's, not, he's not part of the deal. So we had to caucus, uh, and we had a little break, and uh, Manny understood. And, of course, Manny signed a contract. Right. But, you know, that's... Manny being Manny, okay, um, he's actually a baseball genius because of his single-mindedness of purpose, his ability to train himself, uh, to um, focus on the ball, to, to have a, a, a simple approach, uh, and to be able to get a hit when you need a hit, you know, like he did uh, when he was MVP of the World Series, you know, that, that that's... Manny's one of the great right-handed hitters of all time. I used to show his video to instructors and to players. I said, you, you want to be a good major league hitter? Here's the guy fundamentally that does it as good as anybody. That's, that's Manny Ruiz. And, I mean, the fans like Manny. He, yeah. Manny oh. Manny's very, very unique guy. Um, he's, he's he was not great for ratings. He was he's, great he's, for ratings because he could <laughs> hit. He'd high-five a fan at Camden Yards before throwing somebody out. I mean cutting off Johnny Damon like he he was fine you're right right he had, he, he had a good time and you know th there's some days that uh you know you'd see him get picked off the bases or you'd see him go up and take three pitches and walk back to the dugout but at the end of the year right-handed hitter over 300 close to 100 RBIs uh, and he could get a hit when you needed a hit, and he could hit the ball out at right right center field at Fenway Park. Very few guys could do that. So we were very, very lucky to have Manny. Well, I'm glad you mentioned training, too, because I think the one thing fans don't understand is how hard he worked at it. You know, like he was <clears throat> he was the first guy in the weight room. He was there every day. You'd, 
you know, first day back after a long road trip, he'd be in there in the morning getting his workout in. The guy took it all very seriously behind that facade of being a loosey-goosey guy. Yeah, exactly. Like, like Manny had his own routine, right, where he would, he would uh, do his routine. He would do his weightlifting routine uh, early in the day, and then he might go to the ballpark, and he might uh, turn up the machine and, and hit, hit velocity. And then he'd go back and get something to eat. And then he would come back and take his regular batting practice. Manny Ramirez worked. I mean, you can't be a, a star player like Manny Ramirez, like David Ortiz, like Pedro, unless you put in the work. Uh, and, and Manny certainly put in the work. Hey, um, the 2004 championship, Manny was such a big part of that. Pedro, you know, you and I think as time has gone on, people have had a greater appreciation for what your role in that was, right? A team isn't built in one or two years the team is built over time you have to put pieces in place uh and it had to be a special group of players <clears throat> to beat the yankees who who were so good at the time and to come back the way they did but for you did it did it take a little time to sort of feel that appreciation you know they, they win in 04 you're not here i mean i know you were there i know you're actually in st louis right <laughs> i mean you were there as as a as a fan and a lifelong part of this but but i i feel that it, like every year after that went by people brought it up more people understood more but did that take a little time for you to sort of feel that from your end well i, I you know obviously i was disappointed i did get a chance to uh finish the job with the red sox and lead them to uh championship i mean that was a lifelong goal of mine and, you know, frankly, four generations of my family followed the Red Sox. So uh, when the Red Sox won, it was gratifying that they won. I was glad I was there. But obviously, I was disappointed that uh, I didn't get an opportunity to, to complete the job that I started. But I was so proud of the players because they completed what they started, right? And when you have a group of core players together like we had, Derek Lowe, Pedro Martinez, um, uh, Nomar, um, Tim Wakefield. Jason, Tim Wakefield, Jason Veritek. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a limited uh, window and that window's open for a period of time. And, you know, to me, 2004 was right near the end. You know, that 2002 team was a terrific team, yeah. you know, almost 200 runs differential between what they scored and what they gave up. Uh, you know, that's a team that on paper could have won a hundred games. They didn't. And then 2003, we had the great disappointment with the, uh, uh, AFB game with the Yankees, you know, everybody says, well, we've seen this, we've seen this play before. And then 2004, uh, you know, we were getting down to the end, right? I think Derek Lowe was going to be a free agent. Pedro was going to be a free agent, but it was so gratifying to see those guys come through and, uh, win the, win the championship and for, for everybody in New England, right? We, everybody was released from that, uh, yoke, right? Um, you know, we, we finally, beating the Yankees. And the way they did it, right, coming back from 3 nothing, uh, that is, you know, a special group uh, to, to be able to get that done. Uh, I, you know, I also want to talk about your role in really sort of changing the culture of the team. We mentioned Pedro and we mentioned Manny, and I think those two really important guys because Pedro, when he pitched, like we already talked about, you know, that, that atmosphere that he brought, that sort of Latin flair, that Dominican flair that came. And and I think the Manny signing was really important because I think, you know, prior and, and listen, you won't say it, I'll say it. I mean, prior to your regime, 
there was a kind of image for a lot of free agents in baseball that Boston was not a place you wanted to sign, that it was a difficult place to thrive. Listen, we know Boston can be tough. It still can be tough. If you're not, not the, the right kind of player, you'll have trouble succeeding in Boston. But, but one thing I always said that, that you probably don't get enough credit for is when you came in and then your group, you really became a sort of global scouting. You know, you were going everywhere. And, and you had started this in Montreal. That's the way Montreal operated. My first job, by the way, it was before you were there. My first job was covering the Expos for a couple of summers. I was in Plattsburgh, New York. So I always loved the Expos because they kind of, anything they accomplished, they did against all odds, just from yeah. day one. Driving yeah. in that ballpark outside the city, it was, you know, and you guys had them in 94. They were right there, ready to build a new ballpark and ride the right, but we won't go to that. But back here in Boston, I, I do think, and it seems obvious now to say you were out in search of the best talent, whatever, whatever country they were from, whatever color their skin, whoever they were, if they could play and help this team win, you were going to bring them in. But that wasn't necessarily the way all teams were operating then. How proud are you now looking back at the legacy? I mean, the Red Sox now are really well known that they stand for diversity and equality and inclusion, whether it's in the front office or in the stands or on the field. But you really kind of ushered that in for a team that had a, a checkered reputation at best. How proud are you of that legacy? Yeah, well, I, I think that's one of the most important things that that I did uh, through my leadership. When I came in in 94, John Harrington said, I want you to build up the International Scouting Network, which is something that we did very effectively in uh, Montreal and I had good training from Harry Dalton of course with the Brewers and um, we went out and we signed pitchers from all over the world Jorge De La Rosa from Mexico Tom Oka from Japan Sonny Kim from Korea Annabelle Sanchez from Venezuela and we looked for uh, is the best talent we could find around the globe okay and then after we got them into the organization we had to get people to communicate to them uh, how and help them learn what it takes to play and win in Boston because it's a di it's a different market. So uh, we 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 also hired New England kids. Uh, we we rebuilt the scouting staff, uh, and in order to have a pipeline to compete and beat against the Yankees, we needed the best talent we could find. And it didn't occur to us that race, color, or creed was part of it. It was a skill-based recruiting program. And uh, when I first got there, we were like in the bottom three or four in terms of recruiting players coming up from the minor leagues uh, that, that were signed by the organization. And by the time I left, we were in the top three. And what's most interesting is that we were the least diverse organization in Major League Baseball when we got when I got there in 94. Uh, but it, it, uh, we became the most diverse organization in Major League Baseball by the time I, I left in 2002, simply by following this international recruiting and player development operation based on the skills of the players. And for the Red Sox, that was a big change, okay? In, in the 90s, we brought in over 30 black ball players, okay? Which was more than the Red Sox brought in in the three decades before that. Okay, and then keep in mind the Red Sox were the last team to integrate uh, in, in Major League Baseball. But this skill-based recruiting program brought players from all over the globe to the Red, to the Red Sox, improved our talent, uh, captured the the uh, the fancy of our fans, right? Improved our team, 
uh, and it grew our brand. Uh, you know, not only was it the right thing to do, but it, but it was good for business. And, um, you know, I, I think that's a page out of uh, Branch Rickey's book, right? Branch Rickey said, um, you know, we're looking for players that will help us as a team fact. And if the best players are there, you know, we're going to, we're going to employ them. And that's what we did with the Red Sox and it, it helped the organization. And, and I, I have to tell you, it was important for the organization. And I think that the cherry on top of the Sunday for me was when Jim Rice got into the hall of fame. Okay. There's the kid from South Carolina and he, was a star player for the Red Sox. It took him a while to get into the Hall of Fame, but he got voted into the Hall of Fame. And I was there the night at Fenway Park when Jim Rice came in from left field after he got into the Hall of Fame. And I was standing with Nomar Garcia Parra, who was with Oakland at the time. And Jim was Nomar's batting coach. Uh, Nomar's two-time batting champ. And we stood there and we congratulated Jim as he walked by on the way to have his number 14 retired. And I said to myself, well, how about that? No, no Mars moms from Mexico and uh, Jim Rice were here. He was no Mars batting champ and we're retiring Jim Rice's number right up there on the facade. And to me, that was a great moment. It was a great moment for the organization because that kind of showed the whole growth of the organization. Uh, and uh, the fans certainly embraced all these. And, and uh, you know, the Sox were doing the right thing uh, and for the right reasons. No doubt about that. I uh, want to ask you a couple last things before we go. Um, you know, you were, you were kind of, uh, you know, you're a smart guy. You went to Amherst College. You, you know, you, you embraced anal analytics. We didn't call them analytics at the time, right? Bill James was still writing a book that we all subscribed to and got in the mail. Uh, but... You know, we've seen the explosion. And now I feel we're starting to get to a point where maybe old school, If you, I hate old school, new school, because it's just school. We're all just trying to learn what's best and what works best in this game, right? But I do feel that we've gone from an era where they're throwing away everything from the past 80 years to embrace everything new. Now I think we're getting back to where, you know, a Tony La Russa is managing again and a Buck Showalter is managing and a Dusty Baker is managing again, right? The, the voices of experience are now blending in with these new school analytics. Did it go too far? Did we get carried away with the numbers? Is there a happy medium ground? I mean, as a guy who's seen both sides of it, where do you stand on what this game is? We've seen the game kind of get really weird on the field and less entertaining for fans in some ways. And I know now there's a big push to bring it back. How do we get this game to really be the game we all love 15, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, well, I mean, th th there's a lot to unpack there, but, uh, you know, I, I, I can tell you that, um, it, you know, it, it's a great game. Um, I think the, the majesty of the game is what makes it beautiful. And it's like, you, you, you want to parse everything down into uh, little numbers. I think you miss some of the charm of baseball. I mean, Everybody can use that to analyze it and to try to improve it. But I think it comes down to a, a player's game and, and it's, it's really, uh, you know, a play on the field. Right. Uh, and I think the, the, the great thing about baseball is the attractiveness of its star players and the unbelievable abilities that they have. So if we're going to take an analytical approach, I think we're missing a lot of the charm. Of, of baseball. And some of that I think was sucked out of it, uh, you know, as we try to parse the data so, so precisely. Uh, 
Uh, I think we take away a little bit of the human side. Um, you know, and, and you know, this, this love for the game that, that you have as a kid growing up in New England, watching the Red Sox and following the team, uh, you know, that, that, that's the real attraction, right? That, that, that's the real attraction that, 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 that when you go to Fenway Park and you see those guys out there, you know, you, you think that you can do some of those things, right? <laughs> you, you know, you, you, you want to feel like uh, you can go out there and, and do those things. Uh, and and that, that's the real beauty and connection to baseball, I think. And, and we're, we're getting back to it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I do know this. I, every New Englander thinks they can be the general manager of the Red Sox. And I'm sure you found that out when you were here. Right? Every trip to Dunkin' Donuts probably has six great ideas for you. Right? Well, we, we, you have a lot of help. You have a lot of assistant GMs in Boston. But I tell you what, that, 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 makes, it, uh, that, that makes it worth it. You know, I, um, you know that, that, I'll tell you a quick story. I want to thank my mom, of course. Uh, she was a big inspiration for me to get into the Hall of Fame. And when I did get the job, I called her up and I said, Mom, uh, I'm going to get the Red Sox job. And she said, that's great, Danny. I'm so proud of you. And then she goes, now, what are you going to do about the manager? You know you have to make a change there. <laughs> now, here we go. Uh, <laughs> it's different. But she reminded me of, uh, she got me right on task, right? She reminded me of the importance of the purpose. Get to work. Yeah. yeah, right, yeah. right. Congratulations. Fix that bullpen. Congratulations. Fix that bullpen. Uh, okay, and then last but not least, I got to ask you, the Orioles are in town. We're going to have five games. We got a doubleheader Sunday, uh, Saturday. Uh, you know, you and, and Buck Showalter got them in the playoffs. You seem to be going in the right direction. Things kind of fell off. I, I, you know, we know what happened then, but it has been, it's a, I mean, there's rebuilding and then there's rebuilding. It's been a long process. Is there any light at the end of the tunnel for the Orioles? What you've seen, it looks like they're starting to pitch a little better and some of their kids are coming up now. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a tough one. You know, uh, we did good there for like five years. We had the best record in the league and we made the playoffs three times. We didn't, I talked about that window of opportunity you have. You know, you got to get through it. We didn't quite get there. Um, so we had to try to break it down at the end there and, and build it back up. You know, that, 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 that's more of an ownership transition because Mr. Angelo stopped running the club and then his boys started running the club. And uh, I think that's more like an ownership transition, really. Uh, and that's one of the reasons it has taken such a long time for the Orioles to come back. I do have to tell you that they have some good young talent. They have some good young talent on the major league roster. Uh, and they have some good talent coming up from the farm system. You're going to see some of it this week. They got, they, they, they've got some really good young outfielders. Mullins is good. Hayes is good. Mountcastle's got a terrific bat. Um, you know, so they, they've got three good outfielders there. Um, they're going to need to build their pitching staff. Uh, they brought up Adley Rushman, the number one pick in the draft a couple of years ago, and that's going to help stabilize them. I mean, he, he, he's, he's a, he's a top-rated catcher. Um, a lot of people compare him to uh, Matt Wieters. He, he might be a little bit stronger than Matt Wieters, but he, he's got a lot of talent. They have two young pitchers in the minors uh, close to coming up. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez, the best young right-handed pitching prospect they've had since Mucina. And, and that's high praise because Mucina is a Hall of Famer. And then they've got a serious left-hander, D.L. Hall, um, who's got all the talent if he can harness it and throw strikes. Those are a couple of top of the rotation guys. Uh, but you're going to see a competitive team from the Orioles. They don't quite have the depth. Uh, they've probably got the lowest payroll in the league, uh, but they have some good players coming. And uh, I would think over the next year, 
uh, 18 months, you'll see them take a step forward uh, from their from their young talent coming through the farm system. Such a great baseball town, such a great market. You've got to get them back because, uh, you know, it's sad to go down there and, and see it uh, sort of slipping away from uh, the fans there. Yeah, it's a great it's a great ballpark. And yeah. the, the fans uh, love it. I mean, we hadn't made the playoffs in, well, I don't know, almost uh, 20 years when I got there. And you could see the fans respond every year. Uh, we got more and more people back and more and more people following them uh, through the cable TV network. Uh, and then I, I, don't, I don't like these cycles where you go up and go down. I think you should really strive to have a good team year in and year out, right? To take pride in your organization, have the best team you can have. You know, uh, if you better have a three-year plan, you better have a five-year plan because a lot of things can happen and you, you lose those fans, they can, they can go and do a lot of other things um, so I, I hope the Orioles come back soon. Well, it's good for baseball to have them back. Uh, might not be good for the American League East because it's tough enough as it is, but uh, it'll be good to have them back. Uh, Dan, it was great chatting with you. We'll see you tomorrow night at this ceremony, and congratulations. It's a great honor and well-deserved. Uh, you will be inducted to the Red Sox Hall of Fame. Looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks a lot, Tommy. I really appreciate it, and uh, I'm, I'm humbled uh, by this honor and, and grateful for my family to be recognized with me. Thank you. It's going to be a fun night. That's a great Dan Duquette joining us as we wrap up another edition of the TC and Company podcast. Join us again next week. You can pick us up anywhere you get your podcast. Thanks for listening.